0: Hello. The story you're about to hear is based on eyewitness testimony and evidence collected before, during, and after an actual paranormal investigation. The individual's names and locations have been changed to protect the identities of all persons involved. We've all experienced a dream that seems too real, a room that seems too dark, a presence when we know we're alone. We exist in a world of many realities where the impossible is probable and the unknown can be known. This is the realm of the weird. There are, of course, times when I'm not doing investigations, when I'm not lecturing, reading, or talking about paranormal phenomena. This was one of those days, and I thought that I'd take the time to organize my non-urgent case files. These requests usually contained what ended up being urban legends, false requests, and people asking me for my time who are... While well, perhaps not quite mentally stable, I was planning on taking a large amount of these files to a restaurant in order to reread them, but after stopping in to pick up my mail from my post office box, I found myself sidetracked by an interestingly cryptic letter. The envelope was from a retirement hospice care facility near my home, and the letterhead inside said the same. It read Please call me July 9th at 2 p.m. Ask for me by name. Say you are my longtime friend. It was signed Alex Jarvis. The name was unfamiliar to me. Underneath the name was what looked to be a phone number, 751-334-9513. I was unfamiliar with the area code, but this being a time before the proliferation of cell phones, I figured perhaps it was a local area code for the hospice residents. I then realized that today was July 9th, and that if I was going to call at the specified time, I had 20 minutes to get home and make the call. I returned to my house with a few minutes to spare, grabbed a sandwich, hooked up my phone recorder, and dialed the number from the bottom of the letter. We're sorry. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. I tried again with the same result. As I sat eating my sandwich, wondering why I was so intrigued by the brief little note, I noticed that it was now 2 p.m. exactly. I decided to call the phone number that was displayed in the top of the letterhead. Royal Towers, how can I direct your call? Alex Jarvis, please. May I ask who's calling? Uh, My name is John Tenney, and I'm a longtime friend. Hold, please. Hello? Hello, Mr. Jarvis, my name is John Tenney. You sent me a note to call you? in the paper about you last weekend and uh, the one about you researching UFOs and haunted houses. I wanted to speak with you. Uh, that'd be alright. Okay, uh, about anything specific. Over the years, I've dealt with numerous clients who, more than anything, just wanted to talk to someone, whether it had to do with paranormal phenomena or just plain loneliness. But this was a case where I felt there was something more. He continued. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about dreams. As I hung up the phone, I felt that either I was about to spend a large amount of time developing a new friendship which had nothing to do whatsoever with paranormal phenomena, or something truly unnormal was about to happen. Three days later, I made my first attempt to meet with the mysterious Mr. Jarvis. I signed in at the front desk, and he was notified that he had a visitor. Within a few minutes, Mr. Jarvis was headed toward me down a hallway. He looked nervous and confused. He seemed to be in his early 80s, small wisps of white hair, above each ear, bald on top. His suit was a size too large, and it seemed more of a costume than clothing. He approached me, looked at me, and then quietly said, I can't talk to you. Not now. With those words, he turned and left. The confusion I felt watching him walk away was almost overwhelming. Who was this man? Why did I care? His initial letter wasn't that strange. Why should it demand so much of my time, my consideration? Still, I felt that I needed to try again. I returned home and penciled in a trip back for the following Wednesday a week later. The week flew by and I soon found myself once again watching Mr. Jarvis, this time smiling, walk toward me. I thought best to keep the conversation light and on-topic, so I didn't even mention my first visit. Over the course of the next hour, I learned little about my host other than, throughout most of his life, he had had a fancy for things of the occult. He never spent much time developing his fascination, but when he had a spare moment, he would read books by Charles Fort and John Keel, Edgar Cayce to name a few. I did find out that he believed he had, in his later years of life, become somewhat psychic or telepathic. This was why he wanted to speak to me. He desired to be tested. Specifically, he wanted me to test him with Zener cards. He had not said or done anything in my presence to prove that he had any psychical abilities, but I found his good nature and lively conversation a refreshing change of pace from my normal clients who usually need serious and emotionally intense considerations. We discussed some of the faults and flaws that researchers have pointed out, using Zener cards to test psychic abilities, but he insisted, and I agreed. He was overjoyed. We shook hands and parted, agreeing to meet in two days. At home I found the blocking screen that I used when performing a test of this nature, I found my reading charts, and of course my cards. The day arrived, Mr. Jarvis stood at the end of the hallway, once again looking disheveled and on the edge. He shook his head at me, turned around, and actually quite quickly walked away from me. I stood shocked. What is going on? I've been snubbed again by this curious character. I left my car and materials in the parking lot of the complex and walked into the downtown area for lunch. On my way back to my car after lunch, I decided to give Mr. Jarvis one last try. If he refused to speak to me again, I would drop this entire situation. I once again signed in, he was called, but this time he greeted me with smiles and a handshake, even a hug. When I was growing up, my mother worked with the elderly, and I'd helped her on many occasions. Once again, knowing the various temperaments of people who were in their later years, I didn't mention our first encounter that day. After some small talk with Mr. Jarvis and my explanations of what I expected from him that day, he said he was ready for testing. We procured a small conference room, and after I was set up and sure that there were no mirrors, glasses, cameras, or hidden devices that could help Mr. Jarvis in his divination of the cards, we began. We had agreed that fifty runs of twenty-five cards would be our goal for the day. Mr. Jarvis was adamant that I tell him when we had done ten, twenty runs, thirty runs, and when we were about to start the final ten. After we had done over half of the runs, Mr. Jarvis guessing over 625 times, I was convinced Mr. Jarvis, Alex, was not psychic. He was doing, from what I was witnessing, absolutely average. I, of course, didn't mention this. I simply continued with the task at hand. When I notified him that we were at the final ten runs, he seemed as relieved as I felt. The last ten runs were his best and worst. He had gotten one card right in two runs, and nine in one other. The rest were average. As I packed up my notes, Mr. Jarvis seemed tired but happy. I told him once I went over the numbers I would return and we could discuss them. He didn't seem to care too much about the results. To me, he seemed happy that he had finally done something that he had wanted to do for so long. As I stood with him in the entranceway, he said to me, "'John, thank you so much for everything you've done. You've been very kind to believe in me. I suspect that you'll consider me a friend for a very long time.' We shook hands and I started to exit. "'Joel!' he shouted. I turned and the confusion must have shown itself on my face. He smiled at me and said, "'Joel is my son's name.' I forced a smile, waved, and exited the building, confused. As I drove home, I thought of all the strange events that had led me to this point, and the mysterious Mr. Jarvis. To be honest, I was thinking of a way to explain to him in a few days how average his test results had been. I felt that he would be disappointed at the very least. Once home, I caught up with some other cases that I had started, and the following night I decided to go over Mr. Jarvis' test results staring down at his average numbers. I wanted to call him immediately, but it was one in the morning. My pulse was jumping with what now sat in front of me. I could hardly wait to tell Alex what I'd found. Nervous excitement plus exhaustion burned me out and I fell asleep for the night. I awoke with a start at 11 a.m. I grabbed my notes and Alex's numbers and made my way to the retirement home. There was no one attending the front desk, and since I knew where Alex's room was at, I made my way there, unannounced, to reveal my findings. Standing in the doorway of Alex's room, it all came together. "'Joel?' I asked the man standing in Alex's room packing boxes. "'Yes, sir. Can I help you?' His tone and body language told me what I already knew to be true. But I had to ask anyway. Where's Mr. Jarvis? I explained who I was, and over the next ten or fifteen minutes, Joel and I discussed his father, his father's life, and his father's death. I learned that the mysterious Alex Jarvis had suffered from bouts of dementia coupled with Alzheimer's disease, that sometimes he remembered people, and sometimes he wouldn't. When he didn't, he would wave them off nervously the way he had done to me on occasion. I learned that he had died peacefully and in his sleep the day after I tested him. I felt it inappropriate at the time to discuss with Joel the psychic testing and conversations I had shared with his father about paranormal phenomena. I gave him my card and my condolences and took my leave. Over the past 20 years, I've met many persons who have claimed to have psychic ability. I've believed very few of them. I believe that Alex Jarvis was a psychic. Not just because he knew that I would need to know his son's name, but also because he accurately predicted how many times we would meet with each other. First two times I saw him, I had to go two different times, so that's four. And the fifth time, his son Joel was wrapping everything up. And then last, but nowhere near least, were Alex's test results. As I said, they were average. But it was the answers that he had given me during his final ten runs that made me a believer in his powers. He had guessed very well and very poorly across those final ten. His last ten results were 7513349513, which was the number that I had mistakenly thought was a phone number written near the bottom of the page on the letter he first sent me weeks earlier. A letter that was postmarked and sent special delivery from the realm of the weird.